0: If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder funds (ASX ticker symbols G two hundred and GHHF) offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses. So read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. Betashares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show.
1: G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're back for 2024 and I'm here with Chris Bates. Batesy, how was your break? Hey, it's been a good break. It's um, actually
2: refreshed and, and got a, I was off for pretty much a month. So um, three weeks in Thailand and yeah, a bit of family time over Christmas. So yeah, I came back refreshed and recharged, but we have, we have lots coming on this year for us as personally business and um, yeah, been missing these to be honest. I, I do I enjoy these chats every week and yeah. Um, Yeah, can't wait to get going
1: yeah did you spend a bit of time on the beach over there
2: yeah we sure did my poor daughter um she struggles a little bit with her ears so she's had her adenoids done and her um you know grommets in and unfortunately she got ear infections for like at least half of the time we couldn't go in the pool and what do you do in thailand if you can't go in the pool or the sea it was a bit of a nightmare but um yeah, we did spend lots of time on the beach. The water's almost too warm there in Thailand. It's you kind of, in Australia, you get that refreshing feeling, but um, there you're like, oh, it's like a spa. If I was a fish, I wouldn't be living in Thailand, put it that way.
1: Yeah, we went to uh, Phuket a couple of years ago, actually, and the, the swim-up bars there in the nice warm sea, yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty good place, actually. Not a, If I was living as an expat, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be a bad option. Um, yeah, it's, it's been... Uh, I was over in the UK, obviously, for Christmas. I don't think I've ever watched so much Premier League football as I've done over the past few weeks. But uh, with Liverpool top of the league, let's not mention that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah, interesting, actually. All the talk in the media this week, it's been a sort of furore about Stage 3 tax cuts. And I've got a week in Dubai coming up where there's no personal income tax. So it's kind of interesting. People are sort of debating whether it's fair or not that uh, the 47% tax rate kicks in at... 190,000 or 200,000 and I've got a week coming up in a country where there's no personal income tax at all. So I suppose Mm. it all depends on your perspective. Um, So that's the that's the politics this week. But we're going to as we usually do in these two cents uh, segments, we're going to look at the big three property news stories of the week. I guess actually the tax cuts in a way do factor in to the property market outlook for this year. So we'll probably touch on that a little bit. Um, So, Chris, um, I guess we always try and cover what's topical and what people are writing in about. And it was good to see actually on socials a few people asking when we're back on the air. So, well, here we are. And, um, well, these are the three uh, property news stories we're going to cover this week. So firstly, uh, BIS Oxford Economics, which I think is going through yet another name change uh, coming up. They've had a few over the years. Um, Property market outlook for 2024, 25, and 26. a few predictions there as reported in the fin review uh, secondly um another high profile um, apartment defect story coming up over the the past few weeks again in new south wales in sydney um so it looks like um there may be some resolutions being worked through there but i guess we'll talk a bit more broadly about what that means for the housing supply challenge and uh, whether or not people feel uh, sort of able to take the plunge and buy new apartments in that kind of environment and then thirdly um, uh, the fixed rate cliff. We're about two thirds of the way through that big fixed rate reset. Mortgage rates haven't really kicked up at all just yet, but we're going to take a look at the outlook for borrowers, particularly in the context of uh, markets pricing interest rate cuts in the second half of the year. We mentioned the stage three tax cuts, which will increase borrowing capacity for quite a lot of borrowers. So there's a few things there to chew through, Chris. So let's start with uh, the outlook for 2024. So Naila Sweeney and the Fin Review uh, did the report on this um the headline was sydney house prices to increase 16 percent over the next three years but with units perf- poised to outperform detached homes in the new south wales capital with values expected to climb more than 23 percent as buyers seek cheaper options That's quite an interesting point chris because i guess in the context of the second story where we've got uh, all these apartment defects at least for new builds um they're forecasting that actually um, units will outperform houses on the basis, I guess that's an affordability thing with higher interest rates, just pushing people down the price brackets, I suppose.
2: Yeah, this uh, units versus housing conversation, um, they like to do these how much more expensive are houses to apartments? And, um, you know, if you go back one, 12, 18 months, that gap was as high as it's ever been from memory in lots of cities, um, because of that COVID push to bigger, more space, and everyone really, you know, the home buy market was in full flight with low interest rates, and that they were going for the housing market. And they're willing to go further away from the city than they have in the past, so they because they needed that space with home offices and things like that. Um, and then there was a bit of an argument that you know uh, it, the units would make a comeback, and you know, while I think in some cities it's slightly cheaper um it's gone back the other way you know units are a little bit more affordable compared to houses in some cities but in a lot of cities they're just as um if anything that gap's just as big if not bigger now on a dollar value um and so that's been a real big surprise i mean i guess with this conversation um i don't units are really hard you've got the the bigger older apartments um you know afr did another article in the last couple of weeks which i picked up and it basically showed how the more affluent area in the inner ring suburbs um and the performance of those and their, those apartments in those areas absolutely completely uh smashed the apartments in say high density and things like that and so the unit market is like a it's a basket case it's a box of chocolates right and you know, you've got the real premium stuff, and you've got the high density stuff, and you've got the cheap builds for investors, and you've got, you know, the busier roads, and you've got the more, uh, pr- you know, the quieter streets, and the three beds, and the two beds, and the one beds, and the studios, and they're all clunked together. And um, whereas you know, detached housing is detached housing. You know, um, yeah, it might be on a busy road, but it's it hasn't got that variety. Um, and so I, I would say that the the top units perform very similar to houses and have in the past and you know and I think that's what we will see you know in the coming years is there's absolutely a pressure on borrowing capacities and there's also this return to work battle going on. Um, I think part that's employers driving that obviously because they've got commercial spaces they want to get the um, the culture, and they they see some type of hybrid model better than five days at home. Um, but I also think it's the employees driving that a little bit. You know, having conversations, I think people are more uh, wanting to get back in the office and being with people. And so that, you know, there's a bit of bit of both. That, but I don't know whether you're going back to the five days. So, I think what that means though is if we are in this hybrid model, borrowing capacities are tight. Housing's haven't housing prices haven't come down. The only way to bridge that gap is big um, intergenerational wealth. So I can see that continuing. Um, and I can see, uh, there are also some people upgrading from more affluent apartments into the houses because they've got good equity. But, um, I think a lot of people are forced to buy apartments. You know, when I look at, um, their borrowing capacities, the budgets they are, they're looking for those bigger uh, garden apartments, the bigger two beds. And so, um, yeah, it's been a big three months, Pete, right? Like if, if we talk about the outlook for 2024, we set it back in, uh, November not that I've listened to old episodes so I'm, I'm just assuming I said it um, but we, we said it you know the market can shift a lot over this three month period where there's very little stock you know a lot of new data comes out a lot of news um, you know on inflation and you know global um, inflation etc and the story can shift quite a lot and you know you did a great post on your blog yesterday um, around the interest rate expectations and just how much that's shifted over the last three months
1: There's definitely that, yeah. I think if you went back three months ago, we were looking at um, interest rates uh, still going up potentially, another hike or two, maybe to uh, peak cash rates of maybe 4.6%. Well, that's been priced out now. And in fact, if you look out over the next 18 months, lower interest rates expected ahead. So I think that, that I mean, that was always going to be the thing, right, for for buyers getting some level of confidence. So we'd seen the end of the hiking cycle and it's not – 100% locked in yet, but certainly that's what markets are pricing. Uh, And in that uh, context, um, BIS, uh, well, they predicted Perth um, is set to outperform uh, 34% price growth for units predicted over three years and house prices 29%. I think that's one thing I can definitely verify. Uh, I've got clients over in WA and uh, investors looking over there, and it's just um, it's going through that uh, cyclical boom that Western Australia definitely can. I, I guess another sort of anecdote for you, uh, if anecdote's the right word, we've had a couple of uh, clients looking at buying units and apartments in Brisbane. Open homes have been rammed there for the first uh, couple of weeks of the year. So it's normally a pretty quiet time, I guess, in Queensland until – australia day but yeah open homes with 50 groups going through stuff selling on the first open and again i think that's an affordability thing and i think we'll almost well i've seen enough cycles to know we will see this year the unit prices in brisbane having gone for a very long period not doing anything maybe a dozen years they're absolutely going to rocket this year so um house prices well we'll have to wait and see how the year goes on but yeah it's a bit sort of different story around the country i guess but that, i think those are the big macro factors interest rates probably will start to fall cba thinks from september we'll see the first interest rate cuts yes there's potential that inflation could kick up again i suppose with all the conflicts uh, that have flared up around the world particularly uh, red sea you know supply chain disruptions but i guess you know market pricing being the best guide here um yeah i think that's probably a key macro factor. And we mentioned the tax cuts as well, which will come uh, effective J- July. So uh, all that has to work its way through uh, legislation in the meantime. But, yeah, I think there's you know there's obviously some parts of the country uh, that are forecast to do pretty well. And we don't have to run through all the, the forecasts. We'll put a link in the show notes there if you want to check out the article. Um, but uh, generally, yeah, much more sort of optimistic year ahead than people were looking at um, maybe a year ago. And I think this is
2: sentiment is, you know, you know, got demand and supply and population and new builders, so many elements into the property market, demographics, migration. You can just keep going on and, and that's what I love about the property market. It's so interesting when you look at all these elements, but sentiment and momentum um, in investment markets, not just property markets, have huge impacts on prices because prices aren't always just of something that's just Based on what it's actually worth, it's what the market feels and the FOMO and the fear and the desperation and things like that. And I would say that media has a huge part to play in it. We all know the conflicts um, on who owns who and you know who owns domain and real estate and you know the the, the passion behind um, the media just to sell, whether it's fear or positive, um, and how the property market sells advertising, right? So. But I do think that that shifted, right? You know, this article was one, There's was another, art, you know, they're always, I think that that negative article is not really there so much. It's all about a bit more positive on, on where things are going and people buy into that. And I think what we're seeing is we're not seeing an avalanche of new buyers come to us. I would say it's just a, you know, probably in the middle, right? We're seeing definitely January is where it would be much more frenzy and FOMO, um, but we're also seeing much quieter January. If you go back 12 months, it was much quieter than it is this January, right? Um. And there is this perception of trying to get in before rate cuts, um, and you know that's that's kind of front. That you know it's kind of like buyers are trying to get ahead of the herd. Well, actually, you know what? You're just part of the herd because the herd's already. You're you're one of the herd. Um, and so I do think there's that expectation. I do think this rental crisis is going to continue. Um, you know, everything's just pointing that there's not going to be all these investors entering the market. Um, and so your rental crisis is still going to be there. People are still going to want to buy, and they're worried if they don't buy now. Even if they don't, they would want something a bit bigger and a bit more expensive um, and something that would suit them longer term. They're worried that if they wait for borrowing capacities or wait for higher income or, or you know, a price falls, it's not going to happen. So they've got to get into the market now. And so people are basically buying what their budgets can afford. Um and that does put more pressure on the sort of the uh, – a bit lower, you know, the price points and the unit market, particularly in the, the capital cities. Um, but when you say, Pete, that they were really busy opens, I imagine you're going to, you know, a real low-rise – it's probably a, a, an apartment in New Farm or, Yeah, you know,
1: in Yeah, yeah. Not, not the big and, high-rise towers. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. That is
2: true. Um, And so that's the family market or the couple market um, – a, going, okay, we want to buy something, we want some security, we want to get some our money to work for us um, and we could live here for five or 10 years and it's where we ultimately would love a home. We can't afford a home, but we can get a great apartment in those areas. And so you are going to, and the, the irony with unit prices, when they go up, that also gives a higher chance for supply to come on because what developers can't do right now is sell them because they can't make profit. If unit prices go up, That then makes a feasibility study, particularly building prices plateau or the confidence around prices continues uh, and labour, then that will be a whole off the plan boom will come. And so we actually do need unit prices to go up for the development industry to build. Um, But once that happens, then the development interests will push um, go, right? They've been land banking. They've got the sites ready to go. They just need the numbers to stack up.
1: Well, that's more or less our second story on the apartment supply challenge so just to wrap up on that first story bis um yeah well interesting i've spoken to a couple of people in melbourne uh, and they say actually things are relatively quiet so far i mean it's early days in the year uh, and they also did highlight uh, the, the potential um question mark around the longevity i suppose of the boom in adelaide with shifts in interstate migration in the context of a very strong run there for housing prices um, so, yeah, Chris, second story, apartment defect. So um, I'm just quoting here from The Guardian. Almost 1,000 recently completed apartments in Sydney's north are at risk of collapsing due to serious damage to concrete in the basements caused by defective workmanship, according to the New South Wales builder Watchdog. So the developer there was Greenland, so not a local developer. And um, this is Macquarie Park for context there. Uh, so serious damage. Now, look, uh, this could well be resolved in time, but I suppose you know I'm more so interested, Chris, in the macro impacts of this rather than the specific uh, 900 units or the four tower blocks in question. And uh, those those issues may well be remedied, but there's a bigger, a wider reputational risk here. And you know, what does that mean for off the plan sales? We know that there's a big housing supply challenge. Anyway, as you mentioned, the the most recent quarterly figures showed uh, housing starts dropping by 10% to 37,000. So that's the lowest quarter since 2012. And that's at a time when we've got record high population growth. In in Queensland, the government seems to have got into the habit of buying existing properties to sort of fill in for social housing or homelessness rather than actually building anything. So the social housing supply is frozen up really, it's not increasing. And you mentioned that there's a lot of cost pressures as well uh, for developers. So it's a bit of a cocktail, a bit of a mess really for, for getting that new apartment supply to come on. Uh, you mentioned the, the building costs. Well, Cordell said construction costs were only up 3% in 2023, so they're coming down but they're not coming down, if that makes sense. They're just going up less quickly. So um, housing starts at decade lows um, at a time when we've got population growth running at over 600,000. And the last thing we need is these high profile stories about risk of unit blocks collapsing because that's not going to encourage people to buy off the plan.
2: Yeah, I think you could look at it that way and say, you know, we do need to try to solve this. We need more supply, right? Um, and but these articles are, are true stories, right? Like these are actual people who've got huge problems. And I think if I go back all the way to twenty fifteen, I was banging on um, getting abuse online um, when I'd write something negative towards off the plan and building issues and. Um, no, you can make so much money and off the plan, all the developers and spruikers would come and at, attack me. But the truth is we, we were seeing the results. Right? We were seeing the performance of our clients who have bought, you know, off the plan. We were seeing the, the results around defects. We were, you know, seeing how that really had a huge impact in their future financially by making a poor investment decision where they're an investor. And, um, and so, and they've had huge losses sometimes, you know, particularly in apartments in Melbourne and Brisbane, you know, we had clients with hundreds of thousands of dollars under. So, um, I think the building issue thing is now widespread, okay? So the cat's out of the bag um, and it's, you know, the pigeons are flying around. I guess what builder developers have to do is you just have to prove your quality right now and you just have to deliver quality, right? So you have to oversell the quality. You have to basically go back and, you know, it's really hard for new builders who haven't got the track record, right? Um, but if you are a builder that's got great quality and you can back yourself and you know your past projects are that, then you'd be trying to give as much transparency to buyers as you can um, and really selling it on your quality. That's your um, you know competitive advantage, which you have to have a competitive advantage in building because that's what someone's buying. Right. So um, I just think it's lifted the standards in the building game. And um, that has a probably also lifts prices, you know, and so you can't have both. You can't have, you know, people trying to undercut each other and to provide a, a cheaper and cheaper apartments. Um, and then think that quality is not going to get affected. You know, particularly some of these builders that are, you know, going developers going to a builder and saying, hey, I'm going to put you in a bit of a tender and a bidding war between three other builders. um, And they all undercut each other and then they run their margins so tight then weather material, developers had a horrible time in the last few years. um, And then that job becomes a loss making job. um, And, you know, they want to get it out fast and corners get missed and, Things don't get, um, so I would just, it is an issue. It's one of the risks of buying new property. You don't know what you're buying until it's been built. And then even when it's been built, problems don't start to come up straight away. Water issues start coming months, years down the line. By then, it's too late. um, And it's one of the reasons why we're massive fans of the established market over the new market.
1: It's interesting you mentioned people chirping you online, but it's not really yeah it's not really just an opinion it's actually it's statistically a fact uh core logic have done the the work on this and they show that when you look at loss on resale it's statistically much more likely that somebody buying an off-the-plan property is going to make a loss on resale than somebody who buys established and that's kind of logical when you think about it because you do generally uh, pay a price premium to buy brand new and of course um uh, you know, three or four years down the track, or ten years down the track, the property is no longer new, and there, there is going to be some depreciation there. You know, and that's, I guess, partly reflected in the tax code and the, the depreciation benefits that you do get for buying new properties. Um, I think there's 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 kind of two different risks uh, that you touched on there, Chris. I mean, firstly, there's uh, like this issue with uh, Greenland, Australia. Yes, the cost of rectifying the damage. Uh, yeah, but then some buyers might fall through the cracks. But the other thing is. Um, uh, is insolvency. There's just so many insolvencies actually happening, and then there's the different legal situation for creditors, for people who've put down a deposit. You know, there's there's all these kind of things where you, you might, uh, in good faith, buy an off-the-plan apartment, and then something happens, and the developer um, sort of. Uh, at the moment, we've got insolvencies a decade high, so there's those risks as well. I think, uh, I, th- I suppose, just a third thing to throw into the mix, and that is um, when we saw the previous um construction boom so i'm thinking 2015 2016 when all of those tower blocks were coming out of the ground uh to to really catch up for very high population growth that's when we started to get all the defects we had mascot mm. towers we had opal towers there was a couple of other high profile developments and i think we've got the same challenge now is that there's this massive push to build 1.2 million homes in five years and we're off to a very poor start it should be said uh, but it's when you're trying to rush through projects at warp speed, well, that's when the defects are more likely to happen. So I think the commissioners really need to do some work here. Um, skill shortages is one thing, but also just giving people the confidence that if defects come about, um, then, well, people need to know that um, the commission is going to deal with legacy defects and not just leave you high and dry um, with some kind of, um, I suppose, some kind of debt or uh, remedy cost that you can't cover.
2: I mean, it's one of the big issues that, yeah, okay, you buy something that's even not off the plan, but reasonably built. Um, you think you're fine. You think you're covered by warranty, but, you know, a little bit of digging, you'll realize there's no warranty, right? The strata, the building defects the you know, particularly after you get like after a builder's period and very state to state, et cetera. But you just got to be really careful that you, you know, and I think uh, buyers are left high and dry. Um, you get more protection buying a toaster than you do buying an apartment and those, that hasn't really changed too much. And I think the building commissioner in New South Wales appointed for those reasons. And so I just think this is going to be a story. I think if we come back in 2034, uh, Pete, and we're still doing two cents, which I hope we are, um, we'll still be talking about building um, defects. And uh, I think it's just a problem that exists. Um, but that does, uh, and ultimately, that generally means that you shouldn't be buying this stuff. Um, you know, there's better options out there and um, buy something where you've got a higher chance of certainty of not something going wrong so what are we going to go for story three pete
1: you mentioned yeah the types of stuff that we do generally look to buy for units boutique blocks um yeah the ones i mentioned uh in the past week or two places like cooper in brisbane low-rise boutique developments quiet streets but uh, also there's a there's a whole range of things you look for in an established unit um and we generally stay clear of the big high rise towers with pools and gyms and high strata fees and who knows what you know coming down the track in terms of strata issues so yeah let's move on uh third and final story um well let's look at the mortgage market so firstly the fixed rate cliff has mostly passed by without well, really with a bit of a whimper in the end There wasn't really much to write home about um but then also in the second half of the year we've got stage three tax cuts we've got interest rates expected to fall. Um, So S&P Global put out the latest uh, mortgage arrears figures. Well, for 30-day arrears, they've actually fallen, interestingly. So they're still below 1%. Um, There are some areas of rising arrears, generally for the more indebted borrowers, so the high LVR loans. Uh, But about two-thirds of those fixed-rate loans that we saw written at those ultra-low mortgage rates, well, they've already now reset, and there's, there's still some more to come. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think so far this is I think it's causing a bit of a slowdown or maybe even a recession in retail spending as people cut back on their uh, discretionary expenditure. But it hasn't really led to any housing market fallout just yet. I think the reason why there is a are fall increase is that if you think back over the past decade, the, the problem child states have usually been Western Australia, where there was a resources downturn and Queensland, where there was a bit of that, but also flooding. Uh, but those states are both booming, and actually arrears are falling in both those areas. There are some rising arrears in parts of New South Wales and Victoria, but uh, I would say that's probably expected with interest rates going up. But overall, well, overall borrowers have dealt with it pretty well. And I know you've said previously that most of the people on your uh, mortgage books have dealt with the, the reset pretty easily.
2: Yeah, we haven't had any issues. I mean, I, I think it's very reminds me of the 20. 20- 1920, or something like that. The interest only cliff, they love these cliffs, whenever it was. They. Um, yeah, I do know what the next cliff's going to be. Um, but yeah, and you know, a, it's a great story. You can build on it. The, the property bears they love it, right? They get the data, the, the Taras Bookers, the you know, our good friend Martin North. Um, they love these, uh, you know, these stories because they perpetuate, they're easy to add other elements on and confirmation bias, and um. You know they, what they sometimes forget is their behavioural. What will happen though when things get tough, right? You know, will they sell their home or will they not? And you can see with listing numbers. I I generally think, yeah, there's always this excitement in this time of year that there's going to be this boom in listings. You know, uh, the media will always pick if there's an early trend that listings are a little bit higher than long term averages, even though they only use averages the last five years, not long term, to be honest. Um, and. uh, yeah, I think their listings will stay really, really dry over the next six months. You know, we're going to be complaining like we have been complaining for the last five years that there's not enough good properties on the market. Um, and uh, yeah. And so th- that's the issue with these type of stories is they kind of forget that there's people in homes and people don't just make rash decisions in property markets like they may be doing in stock markets a little bit. They can dump their stock. They know they can get back in and they haven't got to rent something in the middle. Um, and so that story has played out. I, I thought, you know, I do think that people have made cutbacks. Um, I actually thought there'd probably be more, you know, people going to banks. I've been surprised with how people have been as resilient have they are because no one expected rates to go up over four. Um, basis points, you know, a four percent in, you know, twelve months or whatever it was, right? Um, that was a huge increase. No one was really factoring that into their budgets, particularly out there around that six percent mark. You know, that was like the worst case. A lot of people were factoring in rates era that rates now. So, but I think there's been a lot of intergenerational money coming down um, to help kids buy property but I think there's just as much coming down to help people stay in their properties. Um, and I think parents are helping their kids with mortgages. They, um, the kids are making cutbacks. Um, and you know, it relates state re rates stayed really low. Um, and I think the banks are probably being a bit surprised too, that the amount of people are calling up for payment holidays is really low as well. Now, if rates stay high for two or three more years, that I don't think people can last that long. Right. But there's this light at the end of the tunnel now that rates are going to start getting cut. Um, I think the amount of income growth over the last few years, particularly for the people who borrowed the most money, the people who borrowed a lot of money were the people who were confident financially, right? The people who really stretched. And a lot of them have actually got wage increases over the last few years, Um and so while wage increases may not have been uh, across the board that big, for the people who borrowed a lot of money, they probably had wage increases because the ones who borrowed the money had the confidence or were, were feeling positive around their short-term income prospects. You don't go into a lot of debt thinking you're going to lose your job in 6 months time or you're not going to get that bonus. You'd be more conservative. And so I think that's what's played out as well is the people with a lot of debt have had quite big increases in salaries um, and then I also think that people who have really struggled is there's been a bit of money coming down the line um, to top up their mortgage repayments.
1: People do love those uh, fixed-rate cliff or interest-only cliff, and there was even going back a decade ago, the fiscal cliff. Those, uh, <laughs> I think people just love to say, you know, I've seen this movie before, I've seen the big short, uh, we had all those uh, ninja loans resetting, and then yeah. you know, that's going to happen again. But I think um, it's what James Whelan christened, theory of thing when everybody's talking about something like this and there's Mm -hmm. headlines in the fin review or the australian or the abc business news well it very rarely plays out like that because everybody knows what the risks are solutions are found usually risks are um i find the bigger risks are things that completely broadside people like a pandemic or you know who knows Mm -hmm. what it's not, not the things that people are talking about for months and months on end because Yes, there'll be some forced sellers in the housing market. But as you said, there'll be plenty of people keen to buy as well to get out of the rental market. So um, it's not as clear cut as if X happens, then Y is the result. And it's it's the same in stock markets too. You know, you see people making very confident predictions and then a year or two down the track, they can end up looking pretty stupid because things go in a different direction altogether. Um, Chris, let's wrap up with the stage three tax cuts. It's been in the news all week. It's doing my head in. Um, So I guess if you haven't been following this, um, uh, where should we start? Well, yeah, the previous government, the coalition had uh, legislated uh, tax cuts um, and particularly uh, these being the stage three tax cuts, as the name suggests. So it's not the the first part of the the legislation, but there were significant tax cuts, particularly for the highest income earners expected. Now. Uh, There's been uh, various uh, amounts of pressure on the Labour government to do things differently. So, to to summarise, the 45% marginal rate will now kick in from $190,000. So, it was $180,000 previously. Uh, The coalition had actually legislated $200,000. So, there's a a few higher income earners not too happy about that. Uh, So, they'll still get a tax cut of about four and a half grand, but it's not the nine grand they were hoping for. Um, but there's another side to this and that is that people earning up to 150k will get a bigger tax cut so i guess in you could certainly argue that it's fairer in that sense because i think those households are the people who have been most hit by um, i guess rising food prices child care insurance energy costs um, so i think from that perspective um, i think it's a Considered a progressive move. And I think certainly, um, maybe from a uh, monetary policy perspective, this won't pour as much inflation uh, fuel on the fire, so to speak. So I guess it would be good in terms of um, tackling inflation and bringing interest rates down. Um, but, you know, th- I suppose this all depends on your perspective. I think uh, the top rate uh, kicked in at 180,000 way back in 2008. And um, I guess if If it had been indexed to inflation all Mm. all the way since that time, then the top rate would be about two hundred and sixty K. So anyway, in terms of uh, what this means for the housing market, well, a couple of things. Firstly, I think two income households up to one hundred and fifty K will get a nice little boost um, to their their income and their borrowing capacities from July. I think top uh, rate taxpayers will be a little bit annoyed. They'll still get a four and a half K tax cut, but they'll be looking for ways to reduce. They're tax payable and obviously negatively geared properties, always a popular thing in Australia. Um, And, um, yeah, there's a political impact to all of this as well. But I think it's it's more, Chris, if you get the combination of tax cuts plus falling interest rates, that's when you get a bit of uh, sizzle in the sausage. And then that could actually fire up housing a little bit um, as a result.
2: Yeah, I mean, we we spoke about this a couple of times last year. It's kind of off the radar, right? Ah, it's 2024. It's not happening. Then, bang, January comes, and like you say, it's on the front pages and eleventh hour. Oh, guess what? We're going to make some changes to it. Even though it's, uh, we're not going to make changes. We're not going to make changes. So typical politics but ultimately i mean i think it's a bit of money in people's pockets right when they need it most you know we are going through um, particularly people with mortgages right that and cost of living pressure um now whether you take uh less money off the upper end um whether that affects Inflation. I reckon their savings rates higher, right? So you, you know, and particularly now when the mortgages are, are really high, I don't think they're going to rush out and spend that money. You know, particularly at the higher, the bucket, they're probably going to pay off their mortgages or invest. Um, and whereas if you, you know, give more money to the medium and lower taxpayers, I, I think more likely that money is going to get spent. Um, and so I, I don't know how it affects inflation. I think less tax cuts probably a good thing at the moment for, you know, stimulating any inflation. I would say. Um, But I think people need it, so it's a bit of a catch-22. Whether it's a big thing for the property market, it does make a small difference to borrowing capacities, I would say, Um, and I do think it helps people feel a little bit more confident around their decisions if they know they're going to have to pay less tax and they're going to have more cash flow, particularly if wage increases are going to come, so I'm going to have more of that wage increase in my pocket because the tax rates are lower, Um, and so... Yeah, I don't think it affects borrowing capacity too much. But I think what really if that, if you, like you say, if you comp, it's like back if you look at 2019, Labour like to win the election, then bang, they lost. Negative gearing wasn't going to go. Uh, capital gains tax wasn't going to get increased. And then there was APRA stepped in, r- massive rate cuts and then bang, the, the property market took off because it had all these ingredients and demand increased dramatically when supply was low so i think supply is going to stay low and if we start to increase demand with tax cuts rate cuts borrowing capacity going up still a rental crisis and then we start to see a fomo come into the market which we could very easily see i mean there's a front page of the afr now um yesterday sydney house prices at all-time new highs right um what happens if in six months time we say that the market surprised everyone it's gone up another five ten percent um and then there's this fomo kicking in right uh and so yeah, I think tax cuts are just a you know one of the the fingers in this conversation, and um, but it's going to get a lot of media talk over the next few weeks, and you know, but it's it's just really a watering down, right? It's not it's not like they're not going to happen at all.
1: It's a point you've made before, Chris, um, and that is uh, I think sometimes Australia is almost a victim of our own success. I think um, you know with the budgets going roaring back into a surplus, so. You know, people saying, "Well, we can't afford the tax cuts." It's a little bit like, "Well, you know, yes, there's a structural element and a cyclical element." But you know, being a Brit, you know, I, I see the headlines um, over the past week or two. The government's net debt uh, to GDP ratio in the in the UK is a hundred percent. It's back to where it was in the nineteen early nineteen sixties. Uh, it was the US, one hundred and twenty, something like that. Well, Australia's net debt's going to drift down twenty five, twenty. You know, we've got no kind of issue compared to uh some of these european countries or other parts of the world and we're so mineral rich and resources rich we've got coal natural gas iron ore copper gold silver you know we've got everything in australia there's loads of people want to come and move here i I think almost because of that as you mentioned we end up with record high house prices i think the big challenge at the moment is just the housing supply you know that those targets are drifting ever further away and uh, there's going to be some political pressures. I think that's the thing. Yes, we can argue about whether uh, 45% tax rates are too high whatever it is. But what people are really interested in uh, from an equality perspective is how do we get our housing supply moving in a fair way? Because at the moment, um, 37,000 uh, dwelling starts and virtually no social housing being built on a net basis anyway. Um at a time when we're running population growth at over six hundred thousand, that's that's a problem, and um, I guess that those are big challenges. And as you said, we'll probably still be talking about that at the end of the decade, the way things are going. Um, so yeah, lots happening. Um, so I guess those are the big three stories this week, Chris. Um, so we covered the property market outlook for 2024, um, apartment defects back in the media, and also the housing supply challenge. And then yes, interesting stuff happening as the year rolls on. Tax cuts, interest rate cuts changes the borrowing capacity so definitely a good time to speak to a mortgage broker I guess Chris you're gonna say
2: yeah absolutely I'm just sort of reflecting on a different article I saw um, where the parents are buying an apartment for their kids um, we've started to see this again um, so I think you know 2020, three a lot of people have thought oh you know my kids are really struggling to rent or I've got a six-year-old which was a client yesterday um I'm actually really worried we're going to stay in Sydney long term I'm actually really worried where they're going to live and are they going to be able to get in and so they prioritize their own dreams but now they're like actually I want to get something that's I can use they can use for a housing deposit or they live in um and that has come back, that's come up in previous booms before, um, where uh, and they they basically buy within the capital city they're living in because they don't want their kids to live in a different state, and so I wonder if we're going to see this, you know, investors, home buyers buying for their kids. Um, you know, and that would be another thing that pushes up the usually the unit market in our capital cities. So I think that's a, a thing to watch. Um, but absolutely, get in contact in the show notes. Um, you know, there's a link there. All our teams back in action. We're doing a massive merger in the next few weeks. Um, so I can give you some more details on that in a few two cents time. Um, but absolutely, we'd love to help.
1: Sadly, not a problem I've ever had to deal with parents buying me a a unit in the capital city, but uh, Mm. maybe in the next life, I'll get some different uh, wealthier parents. But, uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie. We've got a unit in uh, New Farm in Brisbane. I've already said to the kids, like, if I was you, I'd be going to uni in uh, Brisbane, go to UQ or somewhere, and (laughs) uh, you can uh, jag somewhere to live. But uh, probably shouldn't put those ideas in their heads. But, uh, yeah, and um, likewise, if you're interested in – Buying a property this year, Brisbane or New South Wales, Southeast Queensland, uh, we're pretty busy. So um, drop us a line. Always happy to have a chat um, at Alan Ward. And so, uh, Chris, there's going to be stacks to talk about this year. So uh, we should wrap it up there for this week, but always looking forward to our chats. And um, yeah, have a great weekend. You too.
2: Happy Sunday, everyone. Good to be back.